Welcome to another edition of Old Nerd, Young Nerd. I'm Derek. I'm Todd. And we are back with our Star Trek Picard series, and we are on episode nine, which is the first of a two-part finale. And um, it is entitled Et in Ar- Arcadia Ego, which... You know, Translates to, to even in Arcadia, there am I. Now, basically... Oh, I'll go ahead, Derek. I was going to say, and you know, your guess is as good as mine in terms of what that means. Uh, Arcadia uh, from English literature is more of a nirvana or heaven or anything else. And I think what they're basically saying is even when we get to, and this is just an assumption, this is not, you know, whatever the writers were thinking, but I, I kind of feel that it was. Even in our best world, we are still us. We don't become better uh, beings. We are still us. So that, that's the way I'm taking it. I could be completely wrong, but that's the way I'm taking it. And I think the, but I think the episode plays out as such, even though they reach the home world. Um, I think they're still flawed beings, but Derek, you are always better at giving the groundwork. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Let's what's season nine about, or I'm sorry, episode nine about. All right. The episode starts with the La Serena, um, having just gone through a transwarp conduit and the ship goes 25, uh, light years in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Which, in terms of, in a scientific terms, is really freaking fast. Yes. Uh, the ship was basically pushed to almost to its breaking point. Ships weren't designed to go that fast. The transwarp conduit is um, a construct of the Borg, right? Right. Which uh, Soji, well, Soji you know, accessed. Here, here's here's my my um, my take on that. The Borg did not invent transwarp conduits. I they simulated the it. Just found no, yeah. I think the board just found that there are transwarp conduits, and they assimilated that information as to how to access them. I see. I don't think that. I think there was that again. This is just my supposition. I don't mm. know for a fact, but I kind of feel that that's where it is. So essentially, the ship moved um, faster than its max warp capability, faster than any normal max warp capability. Right, and it reached uh, Soji's home world in 15 minutes from where they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, so as they come out, they they ask if there's any sign of the Romulan pursuit. Because if you remember, that ship that was firing on them followed them into the transwarp conduit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say no, but just then the red alert goes off, and the ship has in fact followed them through. Um, so they start taking fire. Um, they're trying to, to avoid it, disable it, get away from it. And they detect mm-hmm. a life sign on it. That's very faint, which Soji believes is a trick. Um, but they want to try and save the single life sign and beam it aboard. But it seems it was using its cloaking device as a holographic projector to fool them. And, uh, it sh- a different ship kind of suddenly appears right behind them and starts shooting at them, which is a clever trick. Mm-hmm. 
So you fake to be in one spot while secretly being in another spot. Very Romulan way to fight. Very Romulan. Exactly. Um, Sneaky buggers. As they evade, Captain Rios notices an unexpected arrival and the Borg cube with its uh, now regenerated and with its weapons online come uh, basically comes out of warp as well and joins the fray. And as as that's happening, they detect five incoming bogeys from the surface, which, and this was weird, they were giant flowers, orchids to be precise. Yes. Each of the giant orchids kind of goes after a ship with m- most of them going after the board cube because it's so <clears throat> massive. Right. And as each ship is engulfed by the giant flowers, the ship loses all of its uh, power and electronic capability, essentially. Right. Basically shuts us down. Engulfed by flowers, the ships enter the planet's atmosphere, which begin, and then the flowers begin burning away in the atmosphere. Uh, Picard sits back in his chair, and in a dazed voice, he says, thank you for coming, everyone, and then passes out. So the episode picks back up with um, Picard experiencing some flashbacks, and then he awakens in the sickbay with Dr. Girardi over him. They open the shutters to let in light because there's no power. And obviously without electronic power, it's going to be dark in a starship. And they said they found an old tricorder in the ship's med kit. And using that, there's no sign of head trauma or anything to cause him trouble. So she says she finds nothing to cause trouble, but she appears to be worried about something. And then she talks, she talks up to the tricorder being old, but Picard, uh, Picard, you know, knows what it is knows that he has like this um shell syndrome yeah i thought it was more sort of like a tumor basically right yeah i i believe so um it's really complicated but basically he's dying essentially yeah it's some kind of brain abnormality yeah is the simplicity of it Mm mm-hmm so picard assures her that what the tricorder shows is accurate she tears up uh, Picard leaves sickbay, goes into the main hold, and tells the rest of the crew that he's going to bring Soji to her people and warn them of the Romulan invasion force that's coming. And then he tells them all about the abnormality in his brain, and he's known about it for years. But he was just told before they left for this mission that it was terminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lets them know that really there's nothing, there's literally nothing they can do about it. Um, and they, he doesn't want them treating him like a dying man. He then asks for a status update, which Rios says that the ship is structurally intact after um, essentially having a crash, uh, crash landing, but the power is mm-hmm. still disabled. Rafi tells everybody that the planet is class M. Which has been Char class, which is and, a uh, Vulcan uh, designation, by the way. And what does what, what like what does that mean specifically? Does it mean it's like habitable or does it It means it's it means it's habitable and it has flora and fauna which can support life. Okay. Yeah. I mean like M class plants are the ideal where they can uh handle carbon based life forms I to see. grow and live and everything else. But so where you can like put colonies and stuff. Correct. Which is uh, the M, which means Minchar class, but it's, it was always a Vulcan designation, which the uh, which Starfleet took up. But I, 
that was just an aside. That was like a minor aside. So okay, you may proceed, mon ami. That's nerd. The story. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So they detect. She also detected a settlement nearby, which Soji identifies as Copulus Station. Co- mm-hmm. Capellius, Capellius, maybe. Anyway, it's some five or six kilometers from where they are, and she right. suspects that's where she was created. Um, Girardi asks if the, the inhabitants are going to hate them, so she doesn't think they will. Um, uh, given what Picard told her about how open minded and unbiased data was. And to which right. uh, Rio said, well, they also just crashed their ship without even asking about who they were first, without hailing them or anything. Right. Which makes sense. Um, Picard then asked how soon, how long they have before the Romulans arrive, to which um, Rafi tells him it could be one to two days. So Rafi then hands Soji a phaser in case they encounter any... Um, Angry reptilioids, homicidal fungi, or a-hole Romulan ex-boyfriends. I'm assuming the angry reptilioids and homicidal fungi are references to older Star Trek episodes, possibly from TNG or the original Star Trek. Yeah, the reptilian was uh, the Gorn reptilian. Right, that's that classic uh, Kirk fight, right? That every Correct. Uh, with like the like the lizard where they're like throwing rocks at each other and everything else. Uh, with respect to the fungi, there were several different uh, enemies in uh, the uh, TOS, the original series, where the enemy was a fungi. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you were correct in that. There, she's basically saying, "Hey, we don't know what's going on here, and uh, we don't know what we're getting into." Without gotcha. me going into any further, because um, they don't eventually, they've got bigger issues uh, to deal with than Gorn or any other plant-based uh, enemies. Of course, but, but I'm gonna let that go, and I'm gonna hand back to you, Derek. But that's yeah, that's basically what we're talking about. They were talking about the Gorn, and the Gorn were in several different series in uh, the Star Trek universe. Um, most notably in Star Trek Enterprise at the end, near the, uh, the fourth season, where the Gorn were a particular enemy and they were more instrumental in terms of their aggression towards the Empire. Uh, towards the... I say Empire because it was the Mirror Universe, but uh, that's basically where they were going with that. But it was an aside for Star Trek fans. All right. I'm handing it back to you, Derek. I see. All right. So they decide to, instead of going right to the the synthetic city, they decide to check out the wreckage of the board cube since they had friends on there. As they enter, they see some XBs survived. One of one calls Picard Locutus, which freaks him out. Uh, however, Elnor comes and hugs him. Uh, the floor is littered with dead Romulans. And Seven of Nine comes in and ascent, uh, fills Picard in on her interfacing with the Queen Cell. And that's how they um, knew where they were. 
she could see them in the transwarp conduit. Right. So Picard mourns the death of Hugh. I'm still kind of sad about that. Like we were, we were doing pre-pro earlier and we haven't really talked about that. That was like a really sad moment for me. Um, and again, I grew up with like uh, Star Trek TNG uh, when it came out and uh, when he was introduced with Iborg and I was kind of really sad about that. Like no offense, Derek, but I don't think you as were, upset about it as I was because Hugh played a major part in several key episodes with uh, Iborg and uh, Best of Birth Worlds. Well, you've but, watched each of those episodes, I'm sure, like 10 times whereas I, I think oh I've only God, seen them like, once like, each. Uh, like, I think 10 times is an understatement. Probably. Watched, like, like, um, like Star Trek TNG, like I've watched, God, I've watched the whole series over and over and over and over again. And it really helped with my Klingon. Um, but uh, that's, that's besides the point. But it was like, it was ri- like, it really ripped me out. And, and, and again, this is where I'm saying this. I don't think it hit you, your generation, as much as it hit my generation where we have this innocent Borg you know that was assimilated Hugh and uh, like it's a whole thing like we we really honestly should do like a whole episode on iBorg about Hugh and I kind of really want to do that now now that I'm talking about it but um he was like this innocent board that was separated from the collective because what the collective does is, and it's logical, it's not always um, personal, but if uh, a member of the collective is lost or appears lost, they sever their connection to the collective so it doesn't affect the rest of the collective. In other words, they're... Um, their hails for help or anything else. And that's exactly what, uh, you know, iBorg was about. It was about a Borg drone ship that, uh, I'm sorry, Borg scout ship that was looking for, obviously, another world to conquer. And most of the Borg on that scout ship were destroyed except for Hugh. And he got his name by Hugh, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be, uh, where Dea says, are you a uh, Borg? And he says, am I Hugh? Am I you? And then so he got the, he got the name Hugh. But subsequent to all of those other episodes where we learn more about the Borg, which was first introduced by, guess who? Q about this unbeatable enemy that humanity could not destroy. I think it was, was it season two? And of season two being uh, season three where they had this uh, tete-a-tete where Q brought uh, the Enterprise to the, their first interaction with the Q. Uh, I'm sorry, with the Borg. And Going forward further, we're looking at um, Hugh, 
who was this independent thinker because he was cut off from the collective and he wanted to learn everything else and he wanted to be an individual. Well, the... God, I, like, I hate ruining things, but if you haven't haven't watched it by now, you're, you know, you're never going to watch it, but um, long story short, the Enterprise sent Q back to the collective and what happened was because of his individuality as opposed to his plurality, which is what the uh, Borg espouses, he made a big splash in terms of the Borg in terms of being individuals. And that's how the best of Borg worlds came about. And that's a whole number of series. And Derek, I honestly think we should do now that I'm talking about this at on, you know, on our podcast, we should really do a best of the Borg worlds uh, episode uh, between you and me. But yeah, in terms of this series, Hugh dies, and it was like it was like gut wrenching for me. Um, and I'm not saying anything negatively about you, but like I don't think it hit you as much as it hit me because I watched those Hugh episodes from like originally broadcast uh, from Star Trek and uh, Star Trek Next Generation and. To see him die, it like it just like killed me. I don't know about you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce back to you. I, I, I've talked too much, <laughs> and I want to hear what your thoughts are on this, Derek. Um, yeah, the, I mean, obviously, the death of a familiar character is hard, but I think I, I watched I think the Next Generation probably five to seven years once before i watched this show uh, card so it wasn't like probably as raw for me as it was for you because he was more of like a oh yeah i remember that guy and then oh he's dead look at that for me but i'd only watched the next generation through once simple as that really yeah and i think that's really what it was for your generation not not to say it negatively but it has differently and I, I think that's significant, too, with with the Generations, which is ironically the, fir- the name of the first uh, Star Trek Next Generation movie, Generations. But um, it was it was it, like it was like a big shock for, I think, really my generation that really grew up with Hugh. And I have the action figure Hugh um, from Playmates that did all the. Um, action figures from that so it like i was like oh my god they killed hugh like that's insane but for you i think it's like oh well look at that they killed you they killed you oh well i and i'm not judging you for it i understand where you're coming from but i just really want to like uh make the the differentiation that this is what old nerd and young nerd is all about like it like really affected me more than it affected you, Derek. I, like, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So, all right. So, all right. Let me uh, let me take a step back, and uh, you may proceed, one of me. So, Picard notices that some of the XBs, X-Borg, 
uh, we're trying to bring replicators back online. So he asked if they could repair the long range sensors, which they do. And they detect the Romulan fleet, which consists of a total of 218 Romulan warbirds. Now, in terms of a space fleet, that's kind of a lot. And the classic Romulan warbird has been, uh, let's, how, how should we phrase this? Kind of scary to the Federation throughout the whole history of Star Trek, have they not? Yeah. I mean, aside from their cloaking devices, for sure. So, yeah, uh, I mean, like, 218 I mean, of them is um, a lot. Oof. Yeah. It's like, I don't even know if there was that many at Wolf uh, 357, to be honest with you, um, with the Borg. So, they're definitely more scared, or their leadership is scared of synthetic beings. And I think the, the latter statement that I just made is more. Uh, relevant to the fact that I th- I don't think the the majority of Roman society thinks that synthetics are this abhorrent curse that the um, the elite do in the uh, Zatvash. Go ahead. What's that? Go ahead. You know, in terms of. Uh, the storyline. So they there's 218 coming. Yep. Yep. Okay. So with that news, uh, Picard informs uh, Seven of Nine and Elnor about his illness. Um, Seven of Nine and Elnor stay behind on the board cube to kind of help get the cube's defenses reactivated. Um, Elnor doesn't want to. He wants to stay with Picard, knowing that he needs protection now more than ever. But Picard says the XBs need him more than he does. Uh, Picard tells Elnor he's he's proud of him, says goodbye. Um, Seven of Nine tells him to keep saving the galaxy, to which he tells her that it's all on her now. So I guess at that point, without knowing if the Federation can come and help or not, the plan was simply to reactivate the board cube to fight 218 war, war birds. Right. And I mean, like, normally in a fully functional work cube, I don't think it's going to be, like, a huge problem for them. You know what I mean? Well, but, true, With but but that also implies, like, fully functional Borg to, like, board the ships and, like, start killing people inside them as correct. well. Correct. Yeah, no, no. I'm, like, I'm, like, saying, like, in the perfect world where the Borg have a perfectly functioning Borg cube and drones. Right, yeah, right. They're, they're, like, the... Honestly, in my opinion, the Romulus stood no chance in that in that scenario. But what we're dealing with here is Exborg, who are all individuals, and we have a down board cube. So not really the same scenario. So I mean, like, there's a lot, like, there's really a lot coming on in. We haven't even gotten to the other stuff yet uh, with respect to um, how they're being affected by this whole situation in terms of like the like the people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, the like the um, the synthetics. But uh, let's keep the let's keep the ball rolling. So the crew. 
uh, leaves the Borg cube, heads to Copula Station. And as they enter, they begin to be surrounded by like curious synthetics. And um, uh, one of them who I, who Soji recognizes as um, a synth named Arcana welcomes them home and recognizes Picard as Data's former captain. Um, Arcana asked Soji if her mission was complete, to which Soji uh, says that it was. Mm-hmm. But she has a look on her face that makes it kind of clear that she's bringing bad news and warns them that there's a Romulan f- fleet coming to wipe them out. Picard asks them how many more of those orchids they have, to which Arcana says they had 15, now they're down to 10. Um, a man then makes his way through the crowd, who, other than his looking very human, looks exactly like Data. He identifies himself as Alten Inigo Sung, uh, the mad scientist and son of Data's creator, Nunian Sung. I love how you say mad scientist. There, and nowhere in the entire episode does he call him a mad scientist. But uh, that was that was I air quotes. I think he refers to himself as a mad scientist. Oh, he does. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Where like, you know air um, air quotes mad scientist, but yes. yeah. As someone and, who helped basically bring about more advanced versions of data. Right, and just as an aside. Uh, with respect to uh, Brent Spiner, Brent Spiner, whatever you want to, oh, yeah, however I, you pronounce it. He must it. have loved being able to be in Star Trek without that makeup on. Well, no, that was like the whole thing. Like, he really wanted to die in uh, Star Trek Next Generation, the, the fourth movie, because uh, he had, he, he developed an allergy to the makeup and the um... contacts. Yes. And he he's like, I just can't do this anymore. And and this was the alternative that they they came up with because obviously he's he's him. But although and, and he, we're talking, although he did dress his data again in episode one of this series, right? Because he was I mean, in Picard's like, dream. But obviously they they could have used a different makeup. Yeah, I mean, like, part of, like, the issue was he was having, like, an allergic reaction to the makeup and everything else. Because if you watch in the very beginning, the makeup for Data actually evolves over the seven seasons. He's very sparkly and everything else, almost kind of, like, akin to, like, the vampires and, uh, you know, uh, God, what's that? what's that? What's that series called, Derek? Come on, help me out. Help me Twilight. out. Twilight. Twilight. And he slowly develops into a more pale version without the sparkles. But I never he noticed had... that. Really? No, 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 no. I didn't he... notice that. But I mean, you've watched each episode three hundred thousand times, so you. Oh no! I, like detail. I really have, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to step on your toes, but yeah, it, like the makeup actually uh, gets more rote as they say, where it's not sparkly and everything else, and he's more just pale in the later episodes, as well as the movies, because I guess the sparkles and everything else, like, it was really a reaction to his skin. It's ironic, because if you've ever watched Lord of the Rings, the same thing happened with uh, Gimli uh, in terms of his makeup, where he's just like, I can't do this anymore after three, uh, three movies. 
with really with whoever, huh really yeah what's his name Derek come on help me out uh John Rice Davies thank yes. you yes yes <laughs> thank you to yourself no, no, no. no John John Rice Davies because I I literally watch my, like you're talking about like the, the nose they gave him the nose they gave him and all the makeup and everything else the hair and he couldn't deal with it beard. anymore oh. yeah like the glue and everything else He's like, I couldn't deal with it anymore. Well, I mean, he filmed three movies, 18 months straight in it. So when anything you wear for 18 months straight would be. Yeah. And I mean, like, if you ever watch the um, the commentaries like I do, because you're the only one that I, does, Todd, you know, this. I'm like, I'm like literally the nerd that in all honesty to everybody who listens to this. And you probably heard me say it before, like on Saturdays, I do my cleaning, but I listen to audio commentaries on movies uh while i'm cleaning because i don't have to watch the movie so all i have to do is listen so as i'm cleaning and everything else but one of his major issues and i don't think he was actually in the audio commentary i think it was actually peter jackson that said it mm-hmm. he was like he could not deal with the makeup anymore and he's like i can't do it anymore and and it actually i believe this conversation happened in the two towers because he is actually the voice of Treebeard. He's like, I'm not going to do the makeup for Treebeard or anything else. I'll do the voice. But he, uh, you know, one of the issues was, is like, I can't do this make anymore. Uh, and, and wow, this is like a, a huge segue, dude. Yeah, uh, we're actually going to, we're actually like about to run out of time. Yeah. Um, and which I wasn't even expecting because I thought this was going to be like a real uh, one and done kind of thing. But uh, going back to data and specifically uh, Alton Inigio Sung, he uh, he did not want to do the makeup. So um, that's why he is data in the whole, you know, just, uh, I'm sorry. He's just himself in the series. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go back to are we going to ra- wrap it up, Derek, or what are we going to do? Um, I'll just finish this part real quick and then we'll wrap it up and resume next time okay uh soji relates her story to alton sung and the others blaming herself for the romulans finding them basically but alton says that she could not have kept a secret she didn't know about and believes that the synthetic band brought out the deceptive side of uh, bruce maddox Um, he says that he had been against maddox's plan because of the risk basically anybody finding out about Coppolis to which at, at this point, another synthetic Android walks up who looks remarkably like Soji and Dodge. Uh, Rios believes her to be Jana, the one he met who was killed on the, um, the Ibn Majid. Uh, but Alton mm-hmm. identifies her as Jana's uh, air quotes, sister Sutra, because mm-hmm. all synths are made in pairs for some reason. Right. Uh, Sutra asks Dr. Girardi about the admonition to which Girardi admits that she only got it secondhand via mind meld, but it was enough to like convince her slash brainwash her, program her, whatever, into murdering Maddox. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she asked if she thought that was, was still, if she still felt the same way now to which Girardi said she wonders if she just lost her mind. Uh, Sutra agrees that this is what drove the Romulans to obsession because 
um, they received a message that was not intended for them. Mm-hmm. Picard surmises out loud if it means that it was meant for synthetic minds. And Sutra says she wishes to find out. Um, at which point she performs a mind meld. Um, almost like it doesn't really make sense that she can do this. We were talking about this in pre-pro. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna talk about this more. So, so I uh this is definitely gonna be a two episode thing. Yeah. So like Dr. Uh, Soong says that said. she's well versed in Vulcan culture, but that doesn't really explain how someone, especially like essentially a robot, mm-hmm. can mind meld with a human when even humans I don't think in all of Star Trek a human that isn't at least half Vulcan has been able to, to do a mind melt. Right. I mean, like we, we, we talk about uh, the Betazoids can uh, mind link. And uh, there were some um, psionic rapes uh, tragically in, in next generation. But yeah, this is definitely something that like we, um, we talked about which we didn't understand and we need to go into further for sure which i'm not going to go into now right it's a it's a whole it's a whole rabbit hole sure yeah so uh in the mind meld sutra sees the evolution of organic life it's yearning for perfection and in the in the um the strife for perfection uh organic life creates synthetic life but then they perceive synthetic life as a threat because they could not age or suffer illness. So in a sense, they're afraid of the own perfection that they're trying to create. So then they seek to destroy their creations. And then in, in doing that, they end up destroying themselves. Um, But she also sees that somewhere beyond space, uh, known space is an alliance of synthetic life waiting for a signal um, and the message that she gets is your evolution will be their extinction. Uh, at this, she ends the mind meld and all she can say is fascinating. Your evolution will be their extinction. I think it's important to note that like nobody but Sutra knows that message. Yeah. I mean, like it comes about later. Yes. Um, and, and, what are we like only just like 20 we're like halfway through the minutes episodes. this we're halfway no, no, through no. the episode yeah that's what i'm saying like there i honestly thought this was going to be like a quick episode but like, well it's always the un- it's always the about. unknown asides where you know you went on like a five minutes about hugh yeah and i've got a, <laughs> which I've got i have no problem side, with and i've got I've... another side too that we need to talk about uh which which i texted you about too yes yep um like I'm I'm like like I'm always amazed at how how long we can talk about Star Trek but I could talk about Star Trek I'm not amazed I'm not amazed how you how long you can talk about it because you know like almost everything there is to know I would say (laughs) no I don't no there's always there's always people out there that know more about this than I do but well all right at least um, as far as I like if I have any sort of question about Star Trek you're the first person I'm calling (laughs) <laughs> thank you thank you derek i you're welcome I, I i do try and i do try and uh learn and remember and 
I, I read the novels and everything else. I probably read several hundred novels from Star Trek. So I, I like I do I do appreciate that, but I, I do not consider myself an expert by any means. I I'm just really trying to share what I do know uh in this. So and we're we're only halfway into it and I've got a lot more to talk about on this. I will hand it back to you, my my steadfast co-anchor i guess you could say because i i'm you're more the straight and narrow and i'm more of like oh look at that look look, look at that little inlet there let's go now that, that inlet so <laughs> I, like i like the fact that that we have that um that sharing of of knowledge and you always bring it back to the right course so i do appreciate that but i have a lot of different little things that i want to talk about and we will wrap this, this up we'll get into that and wrap this up the next time uh, as we're out of time now yep so in the meantime remember to follow us on social media facebook instagram and twitter old nerd young nerd as always i'm derek and i'm todd and remember normal normal is, is the, the new, new boring. boring and uh we are also going to be uh working on youtube so hopefully by the time you listen to this we're going to be on the youtube yes exciting uh exciting expansion coming up exciting expansion exactly like we're literally on everything else so you know we're going to youtube now yeah you've been you've been listening to the main game but youtube's the dlc that we all hate paying for yeah yeah exactly (laughs) so only it's free yeah exactly so um i will uh sign off here derek and uh i'll speak to you next time on the next exciting episode of old nerd young nerd thank you thanks everybody